God, our Father, we come before you this morning with this question before us. Who's your one? And it's a question for each and every one of us to consider individually. And it's a question that might make us a little nervous. One, we don't want to be put on the spot to answer. And we might not even like the fact that we've got a blank to fill in on a bookmark in our bulletin. But Father, we know that you love us. And we know that you saved us. And we know that you've called us to love others and be a part of their salvation too. And whatever it is that holds us back, we pray that you'd help us give it to you. And we'd turn to you in faith and we'd be emboldened by your love that we might have courage and might have joy and that we might share the truth of your love with others. So God, we ask now that today... And these next weeks ahead of us, that you'd speak to us, that we'd be convicted, not in a, oh, I'm terrible sort of way, and that the devil would use false guilt and shame to build us, beat us up, but that you, by your Holy Spirit, would build us up, and that we would, in conversation after conversation in these weeks ahead, be able to share your love and the truth of your word with people in our lives like we never have done before. God, we ask that. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, we have to ask ourselves, and I assume the answer is true for most of you. It's a rhetorical question. Do you love God? Yeah. Are you thankful for the salvation that he's giving you? I would imagine so. Do you enjoy the abundant life that you get to have as his giftedness? I would imagine that as well is true. And are you living a forgiven and sin-free life? Well, that depends on your confession. And are you unencumbered by guilt and shame? That depends on how close you're walking with him. Does God love you? Yeah. Has he forgiven you? Yes, if you ask. Has he given you abundant life? Yes, that's his will for you. If you keep sin out of it, abundance will flow in it. And how are you going to use it? But the question we really have to ask, considering these things, is do we freely share his love with others? How regularly do we talk to enjoying the abundant life he's given us? Are we living forgiven? Are we living sin-free, unencumbered by guilt and shame? Our lives should be different. Our lives should have grace. Our lives should have peace. Our lives should have joy. Our lives should be filled with hope. Our lives should be marked by love because we have Jesus. And we should not be able to contain our love and our witness of Jesus. So we ask this question, who's your one? And we focus today on this scripture in need of Jesus, and we'll get there in a moment, but we do have another video, and this one is Pastor Johnny Hunt of the Woodstock Church in Georgia. He's got a great Georgia accent, but you'll appreciate his message more than his accent. 7.6 billion. Now that's a big number. That's how many people there are on earth. In the U.S. alone, estimates say that out of 328 million, there are nearly 246 million lost souls, men, women, boys, and girls that don't know Jesus. Those numbers seem big, but what if we were to focus on the number one? 
The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? There you go. Who's your one? You may not know who that one is now, but that's our goal by the end of our service today. If you haven't opened your Bibles already to Luke chapter 5, I want to invite you to do that. Luke chapter 5 verse 17 and following will be our key text today. Is we see Jesus healing a paralytic man and doing more than that. Uh, next week we're going to consider... Uh, Philip bringing Nathaniel to Jesus from John chapter 1. The week after that, uh, the rich man and Lazarus the beggar from Luke 16. And then we'll come back to John 1 for Andrew bringing Simon. And Simon having his very name changed by Jesus as we conclude our Who's Your One series three weeks from now. But you've got your scripture memory verse for the month. It's published on your bulletin, and then we're going to put it on the screen there. And it's a new one for us because we've got a new month here in October. Maybe you know it. Maybe you don't know it in this version, NIV. But let's say it together. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Romans 1.16. We just said we're not ashamed. But we have to admit sometimes we do struggle. And that's our hope with who's your one. To help us overcome those things that hold us back from sharing the gospel and the struggles that we have. So if you're able to now, would you stand with us in the honor of reading God's word as we read together our key passage of scripture this morning. Luke chapter 5 verses 17 through 26. Luke 5, 17 through 26. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick, him being Jesus, of course. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but that, the son of, uh, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Amen. May God add to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Look at what God did here. Jesus in the midst of teaching. 
is in a home. Homes were not very large. Even the most wealthy people would not have what we would consider a large home at this time. And Jesus had drawn a crowd, particularly, you note, in verse 17, of some special folks. He said that the Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from every village of Galilee. He was in the region of Galilee, and there people had gathered to come hear him. And then it says they also had come from Judea and Jerusalem. Jesus, although he had not been about his public ministry long, had been about it long enough that he had created a stir that people wanted to know what was going on and who was this guy and how was he teaching. And notice what it says next in verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Jesus, even though he was God in flesh was given that power by God to do supernatural things such as heal people. And then you have verse 18. Just as the Pharisees and teachers of the law knew Jesus' power and ability, everybody in the community had heard of Jesus' power and ability, had heard that he could heal the sick. And these men had a friend who was paralyzed, and they brought the friend to meet Jesus. But One way or the other, they couldn't get into the house. It was too crowded. Houses in that day and time would have a flat roof. Many times people would spend time on their roof because it would be cooler at certain parts of the day. And they would maybe have a cover up there for the sun and those sort of things. But on that flat roof, and there'd be steps from the outside of the house that led up. So they go up those outside steps onto the roof and being industrious fellows, decide that they're literally going to go through the tiles and the adobe type Uh, roof and open a hole in the roof and drop their friend down before Jesus. This is their plan. Your first point on your outline is that their friend needed Jesus. Their friend needed Jesus. There was no medical treatment available to heal a paralyzed man. Even in today's day and time, there may not be medical treatment available to heal a paralyzed person, depending on the cause of paralysis. But at this day and time, this man could not be healed, could not be made better, but Jesus, they knew, had the ability to make a difference in their life. We've got a question there, and that question is, who will I introduce to Jesus? All of us know people who need Jesus, but the question for us is, who will we introduce to Jesus? It's a huge question. I mean, who is not yet a Christ follower? Who's not yet a Christian? Maybe you don't know if they are or aren't. Well, you need to ask. Uh, How do you ask? Well, you simply ask. You know, you can talk about where they're from or talk about, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And say, well, you know, I got to go to church. Most people say, well, what'd you do this weekend? And you can tell them what you did on Saturday and you can say, and I went to church yesterday. Oh, by the way, do you go to church anywhere? That's the easy way to get in. And then you find out they do or they don't go to church. And you talk about their, move that to talking about their personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you would say to me, you know what, pastor? You asked that question. Who will I introduce to Jesus? Everybody I know already knows Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. I want to say, wow. Everybody you know knows Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord? So I got a couple responses to that. One, you need to get out more often. We love you and we're glad you come to church, but you need to go out and meet some people who don't hang in these kind of circles, right? God intends you to be a witness. If God wanted you to get saved, 
and not share anything about him, the moment you got saved, you'd go to heaven. But God intends you to be a witness for him here. Now, the other thing I would say to you is not only do you need to get out more, but you need to talk to your friends and not just take their word on it, because here's the way it will go. You would ask somebody a question like this. Not that I want it to happen, but if you were to die today and go to heaven and stand before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? Most people are going to say something like, well, I've always believed in God. Does belief in God alone like that simply stated get you to heaven? No. Most people would say, well, I've known God since I was a child. Does knowing who God is get you to heaven? No. Most people would say something like, well, I go to church and I do good things and I'm better than that guy. Does doing good works get you to heaven? No. By grace through faith we're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's by our belief in Jesus that we are saved. You need to find out, has there been a point in time in their life when they realize their personal sinfulness? Not that that guy over there is a sinner or that gal over there is sinful or all people are sinners, but that they realize that I have sinned and my sin is an affront to the Almighty God and He is holy and He is righteous and He asked me to confess that sin before Him and then commit my life to follow Him that I would be a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus. So I think many of us probably need to have these conversations because even though we have friends that might be good people and might call themselves Christians and might go to what we know as Christian churches, they may not know the gospel and they may not have trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. And they're going to get into heaven and God's, they're going to say, well, Lord, Lord. And he said, you call me Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. They're deceived, unfortunately, because their church doesn't teach the gospel. But you know them. And you know the gospel. And you can share the gospel with them. Because what we're looking for is a faith answer. Faith not focused on God's work. But I'm a Christian because I asked Jesus to save me from my sins. I'm a Christian because I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. We might use the language of I trusted Christ Jesus as my Savior. I gave my heart to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. There's all sorts of metaphorical language we put around this decision to commit our life to become a follower of Jesus. So our question is, who is your one? And it may be that some of us, in order to identify who is our one, need to have some conversations with people in our lives, friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, and ask them, about their personal relationship with Jesus. And you could say, well, that's personal. Well, yeah, I did just use the phrase, their personal relationship with Jesus. And I don't talk about religion or politics. And I want to say, well, okay, I think you're wrong there. I think we should. We need to know how to have a dialogue about things like this that people sometimes get tense about in a loving and kind way. And not to say to them, shame on you. You don't know Jesus as your Savior already but to kindly, lovingly talk to them about Jesus and his love for them, just as you've been kindly and lovingly confronted with God's love for you. So we go back to our scripture. These men are bringing Jesus, or excuse me, bringing their friend to Jesus to heal him physically. Look at your second point on your outline. They wouldn't be stopped. 
Verse 19 says, When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They would not be stopped. Finding no way to bring him in, they weren't going to be stopped on how to bring him in. I kind of wonder what the scene was like down in the house, right? Because obviously there's a crowd, there's some noise, uh, you know, people are murmuring, folks are coughing, you know, uh, all the normal stuff that goes on when there's a crowd of people. And then Jesus is teaching, and you must hear something on the roof, right? It's not just that they went, and there's an escape hatch, and they lowered him down. This is an adobe-type structure that it uses the phrase tiles, but it generally had both layered upon each other. And there might have had to been some hammering or some jumping or some breaking or some digging. I mean, uh, it doesn't say that they had tools with them. But then is there some dust falling down? And Jesus and everybody else is going, "Uh uh-oh, something's going on up there. And then the murmuring becomes greater. And does everybody stop? Jesus stops and they all stop. And then how big is the hole and how much bigger does the hole get? As light is pouring through, as dust and debris is falling down. And then they're like, what are you guys doing up there? Hey, you're ruining my roof, says the homeowner. What do you think you're doing? And I mean, can you imagine the scene? Scripture doesn't capture it all. That's why I'm trying to help us understand it. And then on a mat comes a dude down through the roof. If you're in the roof, you're thinking, these guys are crazy. They just destroyed someone's house. How much money and how much time is it going to cost to repair their roof? And then they lowered down this cripple guy. We know this cripple guy. What, you know, you're mad. How in the world could they? Why would they? This is crazy. Our question is, what will I do to share Jesus? What will I do to share Jesus? With the people in your life, what obstacles are you willing to overcome? Are you willing to take risk? Are you willing to spend yourself on behalf of others that they might be saved? Most of us, unfortunately, kind of believe easy and kind of share easy, and we don't want to spend ourselves on behalf of others. But the Bible gives us an example of going to great lengths to help our friend meet Jesus And this was to meet, they thought, a physical need only to heal their friend. Think about the last person you shared Jesus with. How did that go? Was it somebody you knew, like had an ongoing relationship with, and you had shared the gospel with them repeatedly and had ongoing conversations, and this was just one conversation in a series of many? Or was it somebody you didn't know? Or maybe somebody you did know, but it was the first time you shared the gospel with them. And you talked about God's love for you and God's love for them and invited them to consider, could Jesus save them? Well, yes, he can. But would they want to trust him as their savior? Well, that's their decision. And we pray that they make it so. How did that conversation go? How did it make you feel? Were you nervous? Were you worried? Were you fearful of what they were going to say? You know, most of us don't share the gospel because of fear. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid they won't ask it. They will ask us something we don't know the answer to. Fear, 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 fear. But God has given us strength to overcome the world. And he loves us. And by his spirit, he'll embolden us to overcome our fear. And here's the thing I found out when I share the gospel. 
When they ask me a question I don't know, guess what? That's great. Because it gives me an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. That's a good one. Can we talk again next week? I've got an end for the next conversation. I mean, hallelujah. So you shouldn't worry about not knowing everything. You should celebrate not knowing everything because that means you get to have conversation after conversation after conversation. And then you go to the internet and Google it. You go to your Bible and look it up. You call your pastor friend here and say, hey, how do I answer this question to this person? And then you get your answer and you prayerfully consider it and you go back and have a second conversation with your friend. Because most of the time, people are not going to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord at the very first conversation with Him. It may take dozens of conversations. It may take months. It may take years, even decades, for some to move step by step incrementally towards faith. But we don't stop. We keep going no matter what the obstacle is. Let's look at verse 20 on your scripture. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, friend, your sins are forgiven. That one always floors me. Did you hear that? When Jesus saw their faith, so the faith of the man who carried the paralyzed man, who opened the roof and lowered him down, it was their faith that caused Jesus to say to that man, your sins are forgiven. Now, wait a second, time out, Jesus. We were bringing him so you might heal his legs so he could walk again, Jesus. You know, walk, Jesus. But you forgave his sins? What's happening there? Your next point on your outline that comes from verse 20 says, Their friend received the greatest gift. Forgiveness of sins is a greater gift than being able to walk. I know being able to walk is pretty convenient. Uh, Most of us get along on our two feet, and we don't think about what a blessing it is to be able to walk until we can't, until something happens to you and you have to use crutches or a wheelchair or you get infirmed in some way and you can't walk anymore and other people have to help you get where you need to get and you use a walker. But their friend received the greatest gift. The greatest gift based on their faith, was the forgiveness of his sins. There's a lesson here. And that lesson is that your faith, your action in faith, bringing others to Jesus can result in their life-changing encounter with them. That they can be forgiven. That they can be changed. That they can be saved. It's amazing to consider. So your question there asks, how Has Jesus surprised me? They brought the man to Jesus in order for his legs to be healed, yet Jesus surprises them and says, your sins are forgiven. How's Jesus surprised you? What has he done in your life with somebody that you've introduced him to? That you went, wow, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect that person to get saved, or I didn't expect that person to make that life change. Why are we continually amazed when God shows up in power? Why are we surprised when God does something that only He can do that we can't? We shouldn't be. In your bulletin today, you have a bookmark. You notice it's got a little perforation on the top there. So you can tear off the card with the who's your one. If you haven't written somebody in there already, and I'm not asking you to do it at this moment because maybe you don't know who your one is yet. The one person who you need to seek to share the gospel with 
through these weeks ahead. The one person who you know is not yet a believer in Jesus that you have a relationship with that you can share the gospel with. Not a random Joe that you've never met, but somebody that you already know. Somebody that you already have a relationship with. And then notice the other half. It's got a spot for you to fill in that name. And then it's got check marks for 30 days with scriptures. Those 30 days with scriptures are scripture passages that will encourage you and challenge you. Now, let me tell you one other thing. We didn't put these in your bulletin because this would be a mighty fat bulletin. Because how many pages does this thing have? Oh, I guess it's got 60 pages or more because it's got two pages for every day. This is a prayer guide. These are available this morning and they will be next morning. But pick one up today out on the information counter. And it's pretty cool if you ask me because what it is is that very scripture on the little bookmark there. And then it has a prayer for you to pray with fill in the blanks for the person's name. And then it has a spot for you to journal your prayers on the opposite side where you can write what you're thinking. You can write questions. You can write other scriptures for 30 days. You might say, well, pastor, I'm not in the habit of reading scripture every day. Could you do it for 30 days? They're short little scriptures. I don't see any of them that are more than about three, four verses long. Won't take you very long. And can you might say, well, pastor, I'm not in the habit of praying for somebody who's lost every day. Could you do it for 30 days? Because this will help you. You can get this little book, and we got like a 100 of them out there. So there is enough for any of us who desire to have them. If we run out, hallelujah, we'll get some more. But it'll help you know how to pray for a person who's lost. And you can write down your own prayers as well. Maybe when it comes to sharing the gospel with our friends, we have not because we ask not. We haven't asked God in prayer. Maybe when it comes to sharing the gospel with our friends, we have not because we share not. We haven't actually spoken to them and said, hey, have you considered Jesus? Let me tell you about him in my life. This can help us. Last year, when we did our natural church development survey, we found out one of our lowest scores as our church was in sharing the gospel, in evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with people in our life. And that's why we're preaching a sermon series like this, that we're seeking to, as a church, focus on how to share the gospel in a way with prayer and scripture behind us, empowering us and strengthening us that we'll make a difference in the lives of others. And we'll see exactly how Jesus might surprise us as well. Let's move on to your next point in your outline. And that says that others questioned Jesus. Well, yeah, they did. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. So they're thinking, they're not saying it out loud. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they're thinking. And he replies to them, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. And so you will know that I have authority. I'm going to say to him, get up, take your mat and go home. Yeah, they question Jesus. When you share the gospel, it's natural, it's normal for people to question. Don't expect it to go easy. Expect there to be questions. Expect there to be opposition. Expect them to think you're a little crazy. Expect them to talk about you. That's okay. Are you serving them or are you serving God? Do you love them or do you love God? Do you fear them or do you fear God? They questioned Jesus and who he was, his ability and his authority. They're always going to be skeptics. Not everybody's going to come to faith immediately. But it's the Bible that defines our reality. 
not human opinion. And the Bible says what sin is. And the Bible says what God's love is. And the Bible tells us what obedience for us as followers of Jesus is. And that's what we desire to do. To follow God. Jesus, with the paralyzed man, forgave him. He healed his heart. But then, to prove his power of forgiveness, healed his legs. He gave him the ability to walk. When people are saved, things change. Priorities change. Life changes. There's a picture of that right here in this scripture. Your question is, how do I respond to Jesus' power? That's your question on this point. How do I respond to Jesus' power? Frankly, even though I've been a believer in Jesus now for a long time, 30 plus years, I still get amazed at his power from time to time. I go, wow, I didn't see that coming. He did what? That person made this change? Or what about in my life? When I feel like I can't or when I know that I won't and when I've got a grudge or unforgiveness or hate or anger or something build up and God changes me. We need to pray something like, God, I need to see your power in my life. God, I need to see your power in my one's life. You know that my experience is little. You know my faith is weak, God. You need to use me and empower me to change my friend, to change me. Pray and offer ourselves first. Ask Jesus to show up in his power and that we might see his power in the lives of our one. Let's move on in our scripture, verse 24 and 25. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority. He said to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. Verse 25, immediately stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. Your next point says their friend gained all they had imagined. All they had imagined was that Jesus was going to heal him physically to heal his legs. So their friend gained all that they had imagined. But Jesus knew more than they could imagine. The Bible says to us, Paul writes it in a doxology type prayer in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. But to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine, to him be glory. Jesus can do all that we ask and imagine. How much can you imagine? Well, I've got a pretty big imagination, Pastor Aaron. Jesus can do more than that. He is God in flesh and he is sovereign and he can do all that we ask or imagine. More so. And he did it in the life of the paralyzed man. Your question there is, what life change do I pray for? If he can do all that we imagine and more, what do I pray for? Maybe my prayers are too small. Maybe I'm not praying because I don't want to change. I'd rather stay in my sin. I'd rather remain silent and not witness I'd rather hold on to my habits and things that keep me enslaved rather than be free. We need to pray for change in our lives, friend. We need to pray for a change in the lives of others to see what God will do. The idea behind 
who's your one in this entire emphasis is if believers in Jesus all share the gospel with one person, one person that we already know and have a relationship with, what could happen? Think about it. There's 180 of you in here right now. And even if a fraction of us, just one-tenth, had a friend trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, and all of a sudden we're baptizing 18 people that are new believers, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Crazy good. What would happen if we focus on praying and asking God, reading His Word to understand God, and sharing that with others in our lives who are not yet believers in Jesus? We could be amazed. Who's your one? Your last point on your outline is that others were amazed at Jesus. We too can be amazed by Jesus if we take the faith steps through our prayers and through our actions and sharing the gospel with folks in our life. But look at what it says in verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Just there in front of them, they saw that remarkable thing of the paralyzed man being healed. They had to believe by faith that his sins were forgiven. They couldn't see that, but they could see physically the man that they knew was paralyzed, was healed. He was changed forever, and they were amazed because of what they had seen. The lowering through the roof, the man being healed, Jesus preaching with authority and confronting the Jewish leaders, all those things amazed them. So your final question is this. What would astound people I know? Astound's a fancy word for amaze, right? What would it take? Who would have to change? How would they have to change? Would that change be in me? And what is it I need to confess and surrender? What... Is God calling me to do different in my life? That right now, today, I need to say, God, I'm done. I'm done being sinful. I'm done being disobedient. I'm done being unfaithful. I'm done being fearful. I'm committing myself to you. Wouldn't you love to see your life change forever for the better? Wouldn't you love to see... Your friend's life changed forever for the better? Wouldn't you love to see God's amazing, astounding power at work in your life and in the lives around you? Well, it's more easily said than done, but you confess your sin now. You repent and turn from your sin now. You confess your fear now. You ask Jesus to overcome your fear now. That he might increase your courage now and increase your faith now. Maybe there's somebody that you've got unforgiveness with. And maybe right now you need to get up and walk out and text them or call them and ask them to forgive you. Because that's something that's holding you back. It's a sin that you know of. Maybe you need to do that now. Maybe you need to know more about the Bible. You need to read your Bible daily, pray daily. Well, start now. Get somebody to hold you accountable now. Whatever you need to do, do it now. 
As we sing today, if you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider who's your one and write it down before you leave today. Maybe you have a couple because you're not sure. You don't know if they're believers yet or not. You can write down more than one. It's okay. But we need to take seriously what God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, our Father, you have called us to be a witness of your love to others. You've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. You give us the gift of faith that we might trust in you even when we fear for ourselves. And it's our prayer, God, that we would be obedient to you. That we would be able to name at least one person who needs faith in Jesus. And we would be emboldened in this week ahead, maybe even today, to reach out to them and share. So God, our Father, we ask now that you bring a change in us, that we might be a part of a change in someone else. And those changes would be eternal. And those changes, because they're by your power, would bring you glory. So God, we thank you for your presence among us, emboldening and empowering us, giving us faith. And we certainly pray, Father, that as we obey, so too would anyone here who's not yet a believer in Jesus, that they would trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord even today. It's in His name we pray. Amen.